0: I believe you mean Mother's Miak? Oh, sure. (laughs) We're like four months early for (laughs) Ernest Scared Stupid jokes. God. from the Mundanger's Anti-Venom Storage Locker in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Eshan, And welcome to episode 248 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In
1: this episode, we're talking about making, using, and curing poisons in your game. But first, the party takes new lodgings in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the dart frog makes the same point over and over again in the Character Creation Forge. Hey, my name is James Intracasso, and I'm the host of Tabletop Babble, which is a role-playing game discussion podcast where I bring on awesome industry guests like Matthew Mercer, Ruth Tillman, Wolfgang Bauer, Cat Cool, and so many others. We talk RPG news, give advice, laugh, argue. It is a fun time, just like you'd have at a convention or local-friendly game store. Check out Tabletop Babble at don't dontsplitthepodcastnetwork.com. So Shane, we're still at it. I'm kind of surprised that we're still allowed to be in this game. We have not died yet. That's actually also surprising. (laughs) Yeah, so we are playing through Castle
0: Amber over on the God's Fall Twitch channel. Uh, We're on, I don't know, probably episode
1: five this week? Five, yeah. It will be uh, tomorrow, Friday, at uh, probably 7 p.m. Eastern Time, something like that. Yep. Uh, You'll you'll get a note in the Discord. Yeah,
0: and our uh, our intrepid heroes will continue through the second edition, first edition OD&D module, something from the early 80s, uh, in which we are trying to escape from the aforementioned Castle
1: Amber. Surrounded by lots of poisonous fog and dealing with a crazy noble family who is cursed but doesn't really seem to know it.
0: And that is... DM'd by Aram Vardian of the God's Fall and Rise of the Demigods podcast.
1: And our fellow players are Sally from the Struggle Boss podcast and Dylan from Canada.
0: Yeah, every single week he plugs a different professor at his university.
1: You know what? Uh, It makes me want to take online classes.
0: Uh Uh-huh.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Learn a little little bit more about physics. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if that interests you, either for the D&D or the physics plugs, you can join us at twitch.tv/godsfall on Friday nights. So, Ishan, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign?
1: The Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition d and game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign, and in central Karnath in the insular city of Vedikir, the party is chasing a killer.
0: Yeah, so we have reconnected with Wilmo at the House Tarrasco compound and then ambushed, uh, attempted to be murdered, and then narrowly escaped.
1: So the party ducks into a nearby alley outside the compound to catch their breath. Warden conjures a shower of golden autumn leaves to heal their wounds. I think this is right when um, Healing Spirit uh, was released. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and we all looked at it and we're like, hey, this is a good spell. <laughs>
0: Before it got errated.
1: Right. (laughs) Lenore, the rogue, gets that same sense again that they're being followed, but she isn't able to spot what it might be. Now, there doesn't seem to be any immediate pursuit from the halflings who were trying to murder them earlier, which seems a little confusing, but they don't wait around to find out if anyone is marshalling forces to come after them.
0: So, assuming that our rooms at the inn are compromised... We decide, uh, against our better judgment, to go ask Lauren Davis for shelter.
1: But first, they head back to the Temple of the Sovereign Host to pick up Ephraim's body, which they had left with a reluctant priest. And of course, the priest, after being released from Vesicod's suggestion spell, because he stopped concentrating on it to uh, paralyze a creepy cleric inside the compound... Uh, the, the priest uh, decided to just quickly bury this body that he was stuck with in a simple but, you know, respectful pauper's grave. Uh, and then the party shows up and says, hey, we'd like that body back that we deposited a couple hours ago. <laughs> he is very confused. No one ever asks for the body's back. But you know what? Fine. He waves his hand, casts mold earth and, you know, an entire uh, grave's worth of, of dirt folds back. And there's the coffin. And they eventually drag it out of a hole. And uh, take it with them.
0: Yep, so we carry a coffin through the streets of of Vedic Vedic here.
1: (laughs) Not that weird.
0: (laughs) To House Davis, uh, where the guards and servants seem to be expecting us.
1: So back in the waiting room that they had been in before, they are now here with a coffin and a dead body. And they are greeted by the off-putting young girl, Lauren Davis, This time without her father Taggart, the ostensible head of the house. Although, really, this little girl seems to be in charge.
0: Yep, and she can tell that they have brought Ephraim's body with us. And so she says that she can tell we've brought Ephraim's body with us because she can smell it. And all of them, in fact, smell different from normal people. Um, Suspecting that this child is much more than she seems, the party starts demanding answers.
1: Yeah, I think this is the the time when you know your uh, the dramatic irony of you knowing who she actually is was like, all right, fine, But We're just gonna ask a bunch of questions, okay? Because things are weird enough now where we can sort of break um uh, the suspension of disbelief. Uh huh. Yeah. Because of of course, dear listener, Lauren Davis is arendis Val, the Lich Queen,
0: right? Who
1: the party ran into and then I guess narrowly defeated mm-hmm. in uh, the original Morning Glory campaign. Correct. So, Bramble the Shifter just pointedly asks right out, uh, are we undead? And she sort of shrugs, uh, and, you know, she muses, gets, gets a little philosophical. She's like, I mean, really, what actually separates living people from dead people, or, you know, dead people from undead people? And, you know, like, all of you are walking around, and you're talking, and you're thinking about things, and you're feeling emotions, you know, um, dead bodies don't do that undead things don't do that right right and then she laughs and laughs and laughs and laughs
0: Mm -hmm. so we're being taunted by a lich (laughs) (laughs) Uh, she also insists that she knows nothing of the day of mourning or what caused it but does know that a bunch of strange energies were released by the cataclysm so, when we ask about the dead man in the alley, she also says that she knows of several bloody murders in the city that are just like that one, but she doesn't know anything about who's committing them
1: so then they get to asking about House Jurasco because something fishy is obviously going on, and she says from what she's heard, it is a house divided which squares with what the party has guessed like there's some sort of internal faction that is out to get them because if the entire house had been out to get them then they probably would have been pursued by basically an army of halflings
0: yeah a a far less subtle pursuit
1: right (laughs) and this also checks out with what wilmo suggested you know she's going to stay in the house do some investigating and try to figure out who's attacking them but it doesn't seem like the entire house is arrayed against them So the party then reluctantly asks for shelter and Lauren Davis grants it on the second floor of the mansion. Each of them is given a fine room. Although I think for the most part, all of you still like made camp every night in one person's room so that you, you weren't separated too much, which was probably a good idea. And then uh, she presents the party with a collection of jewelry as a gift uh, everyone can select one. There are brooches, there are clasps, rings, and amulets. Uh, and she she mentions that these are tokens of protection. Each of them, somewhere on, on the piece of jewelry, contains a large, deep-set bloodstone.
0: And so the dramatic irony returns.
1: <laughs> <laughs> as uh, yeah. We,
0: as we know that these bloodstone amulets are uh, one way for Lauren Davis to keep tabs
1: on us. Yeah, they're essentially permanent uh, scrying vessels for her. So, leaving Ephraim's body at the Davis compound, they decide to head back to the sanatorium to check on Bach. But when they get there, and they head to his rooms, he's gone. They check with the attendant, who claims that they didn't see him leave at all.
0: Then Lenore spots markings on the third story railing and footprints on the ground below. It would appear that Bach left in a hurry, and he didn't take the front door.
1: And we'll find out what happens next, next week.
0: All right, so this week, we are going to talk about poison.
1: You know, that girl is. Right. (laughs) Uh, So I think a lot like maybe disease, poison sort of gets overlooked um, in a lot of games. It's difficult to find a good sweet spot, right? Because either poison is super deadly, right? This is the the point of most poisons that you come across in fiction. You only find out someone's been, it's, dear Lord, he's been poisoned when you're over a dead body, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then if the target doesn't die, or they don't at least become like severely incapacitated for a while, then that just means they were kind of inconvenienced. And that means your poison didn't work. It failed. Or the other option is it's easily avoided or cured, you know, uh, in a lot of games, fantasy games, but also, you know, sci fi games, even like modern games, there are antidotes, you've got access to magic that just neutralizes or cures a poison Um, there are a lot of different creatures that mitigate or completely avoid the effects of poison altogether
0: yeah and then you also run into this problem where poisons that are able to affect high level or very powerful pcs in the world have to be so strong that they have world-breaking ramifications or effects so devastating that they're effectively like a save or die condition
1: Right, like, I mean, you just D&D as an example, you know, if you're a high-level character, you've got, what, 115 hit points, and in order to have a poison that does that much damage to actually threaten your life, and isn't just an inconvenience before you get a healing spell, um, that's like enough poison to kill an entire town of commoners.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's the, a drop in the well kind of problem.
1: Right, exactly. And then on top of that, you've got a lot of monsters and enemies that are going to be completely immune to any kind of poison, uh, any kind of robot. Undead creatures are usually immune because they don't have functioning physiologies, uh, constructs. Any creature without a corporeal form, you know, an, an angel or certain kinds of aliens. And of course, if you're in vehicle combat, your Laz rifle is going to work just as effectively against a tank uh, or treads or a car. Your poison dagger will do nothing.
0: Mm. Lead poisoning. Ah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's, I, I love that scene in every cowboy movie where they're stooped over the, the dead gunslinger and they're like, he's been poisoned. <laughs>
0: he was shot seven days ago. <laughs> it was a minor wound.
1: <laughs> but then...
0: I think the the takeaway here is that poison really benefits from a GM who is willing to incorporate it and use it as a plot point more so than it is as just an an added source of
1: damage. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. So when you're talking about and exploring the use of poison in a game, it's useful to remember and then try to use the kinds of tropes that have been tied to poison historically. And honestly, like most of them are pretty negative like, what was it back in, was it original D&D? I think it even went through second edition too. Like, if you used poison, you were an evil character. Mm-hmm. I think paladins who used poison, like, immediately fell. Like, any kind of poison in, in any kind of circumstance.
0: Right. Yeah, you, you get this thing where, like, sure, it's fine to stab people because that's honorable. But if you put cyanide in their drink, you immediately fall. You immediately go to hell. You're immediately, you know, untrustworthy, dishonorable, uh, evil.
1: Yeah, or, you know, you are in a duel and you put poison on your blade and they can see you do it. And you say, hey, I'm putting poison on my blade. Apparently that's still dishonorable for some reason. Right. <laughs> yeah, There's,
0: I mean, there's also like a, a patriarchy thing here where poison is like historically viewed as the woman's weapon, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't involve physical strength.
1: I think that's probably one of the reasons that you you get this trope of, you know, a poisoner is by nature evil and they're sort of tied together in that you have an evil person and so they choose poison, mm-hmm. right? Um, you also get like the, the obsessed killer, like a person who poisons wouldn't ever stop. They kind of do it for fun. Um, they do it because they like to watch people die because once someone is poisoned, you can sort of stand there and enjoy their death. And these aren't necessarily things you don't want to incorporate in your game, but they are things that you should be aware of that maybe other people have in their heads or, or, or they are tropey, so you don't necessarily want to always lean into them. You also get the mad scientist, the the kind of person who loves to create new kinds of poisons and they're fascinated by like the effects on, you know, human physiology and, and this sort of makes them uh, amoral about it. They're not necessarily trying to kill as many people as possible, but they are less concerned about maybe collateral damage
0: yeah this is the poison ivy
1: right right yeah yeah (laughs) i just i'm making new children
0: (laughs) um and then of course the angel of death right so just um one who wants to cause death by any means necessary uh poison is a great way to
1: uh mass murder so when you're using it, either if you are playing a Poisoner character or you know, you've know you got one in your game, think about verisimilitude. Um, take inspiration from real life when you are figuring out how poisons are going to work in your game, but don't be beholden to real life, right? Like, for example, most games just sort of lump all poisons together. There's like a, a blanket antitoxin and that's going to cure quote unquote poison. Or if you're immune to poison, then you're you're just immune to every single kind of poison that might exist in the entire universe you can do things like you know consider having specific antidotes to specific toxins you just want to make sure that you're not using these as like a a gotcha right like if if a store has an antitoxin for sale and a player buys it and then uses it and then is exposed to a poison like it should it should just work you don't then once you introduce the idea of like uh, that only works for natural poisons that doesn't work for chemical poisons sucker i mean (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to use it as a gotcha right
1: <laughs> like, like, i mean yeah it's it's totally fine to make that distinction you don't want to use it after the player has been like i have prepared effectively for this situation right um but yeah i think it makes it makes perfect sense to have like not like you have a, Yon- a yonti who is uh you know snake people and i guess they're immune to poison but why why are they not only immune to like snake poison right like i saw this documentary this one time um a terrifying the most terrifying nature documentary i've ever seen where there was a a very large spider in like a tunnel in the amazon where it lived in its burrow um and then there was a poisonous viper that was coming to try to eat the spider um except that both of these creatures were so horrendously venomous that either one of them could kill the other and it was just a question of who got first strike and the spider got first strike and then the spider ate the snake.
0: I hate your use of poison and venom interchangeably in this situation. <laughs>
1: but they are both they, toxic. They they are both venomous. <laughs> nope.
0: <laughs> the snake is venomous. The, the spider is poisonous.
1: Wait, what? No. The yeah. spider is also venomous.
0: Nope. The spider has poison throughout its body. The snake has no, venom. It injects.
1: It injects. The spider bit the snake and that injected the snake with poison.
0: Okay, so when you use this uh, I think the the point to that story, of course, is that the poison is very fast acting, right <laughs> like you uh you have it kind of you you get it it's injected in one round and you start showing the symptoms within seconds or hours
1: yeah, like it, it actually makes it easier to use poison in combat because it already is functioning at the speed of your game right um. And then you know it can it can have as short or long a tail as you want right you have uh, poisons that will wear off with like whatever several saving throws or a few checks or you know the administration of um first aid uh, or you'll just have an effect that lasts like for a few hours and you just need to sort of wait for it to wear off and maybe it doesn't even ultimately need an antidote although if you get one early then you're cured This also means that if you are bringing in information from real life then, players can get a lot of information about the poison itself by doing research checks that make sense to them and you don't necessarily need to like build a, a new kind of fiction around the poison right Like everybody kind of knows how like snake venom works. so if someone gets bitten by a snake or something that someone identifies as being similar to snake venom then you can you know, go begin res- researching ways to fix it.
0: right. So let's talk about how to apply poison carefully (laughs) wear gloves um (laughs) no typically you're going to want to have some type of saving throw or some type of check some type of reaction from the player um either after taking damage from a creature or a weapon or you know being exposed to you know an explosion at the chemical plant whatever it is
1: yeah i think this is probably one of the most interesting levers to pull like how are you applying the poison you know how did the target get poisoned do they know they are poisoned? When did they get poisoned? Before they started showing the effects? By whom? Was it one of the one of the party members? Was one of the party members poisoned? Uh, was it an NPC? You know, I like that poison is one of those things that you know you can. It plays an effect in combat, but then it's so easy to use in social situations. Like it's one of the few damage types that maybe is even more effective in a social situation.
0: Yeah. And and you got to keep in mind um, as we talk through these, like some of these make more sense for NPCs than they do for Mm -hmm. PCs. Right. Like generally you aren't going to make a saving throw for an NPC. Um, Like if it's applied by another NPC. Right. That's just going to be a plot point. But if the piece if the characters are doing that, if the players are trying to poison somebody like they probably do get a save.
1: Right. And and of course, if someone is trying to poison your, your players, you don't want to remove the agency by just saying, ha you're poisoned idiot. I mean, unless
0: they're like, hey, I'm going to drink this poison to prove I can. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> You've identified this as poison. Do you drink it? Why, yes, I do. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, think about uh, the different application types. So um the 5e dmg lists a few types i don't think it quite covers all of them um but i think they're relatively comp- comprehensive you have in order of like least exposure to most intimate exposure i guess might be inhaled right it's just something that you need to breathe in or maybe even like be exposed to in a gaseous form you know next to your skin mm-hmm Uh, You have contact, which means you actually need to, it needs to be absorbed through the skin, so you you could be splashed with it, um, or, you know, you could could touch a poisonous creature. Yeah, you have
0: ingested, which means you, of course, must eat it.
1: And then you have injury, which means it's probably coated on a blade or some sort of like slashing or piercing weapon, and you have been stabbed uh, or poked with it. And then then also, I would probably add long-term exposure here um this is just sort of like ambient poison this is probably more likely for something like you know chemical poison radiation something like that where it exists at a long at a low level for a long time and you don't necessarily know until you've been around it for a while
0: yeah and i see why that gets left out of the dmg because it's it's a tricky thing to use uh without some type of foreshadowing or you know a a third party as the victim You know, Mm -hmm. like, just saying, oh, well, they've been quietly poisoning you with arsenic the entire time, and now you're at critical levels. Like, why did you trust that hostile owner? Like, okay. (laughs) Um, So I never got a chance to do anything about it, never knew it was happening. Like, that's a compelling story now. Like, great, I'm laid low by, like, my choice of in.
1: Right, like, um, you know, I why didn't I never get tipped off to this in any way, and why were we not investigating? You're right, I think it works much better as, like, This town is suffering from a malady. Nobody knows what's going on. Is it a curse? Is it undead? Uh, Is it a disease? Oh, it turns out like it's an ambient poison effect, and we've figured that out. And, you know, we've been here not as long, so we're less affected. But if we stay and try to fix this thing, the chances are that we will become affected.
0: Right. Um, And then I think what separates all of these things is sort of the obviousness of their application how aware are you that you've been exposed the ease of the application you know what kind of timing is involved what kind of cooperation of the victim is involved you know how much manipulation is required to accomplish it and then also just the area of effect and the collateral damage that is at risk of exposure you know like a, a cloud kill high risk of collateral damage, you know, like a (laughs) stiff breeze, and all of a sudden that cloud kill is affecting the the orphanage next door.
1: Right. (laughs) Harder to use in a dinner party, pretty obvious, but ease of application, one action. High, high. (laughs) 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 Cooperation, none required. (laughs) So in terms of the effects of your poisons, um, the levers that Shane just mentioned are the ones that you're going to pull in order to, like... Uh, figure out the effects right because it's going to be dependent upon the application poisons that are easier to administer shouldn't be too effective or they're going to end up being overpowered in combat right like you know if it's uh, a blow dart poison and it's uh, quite simple to like jab somebody with a a pinprick surreptitiously in the middle of a dinner party and like that just murders them I mean, that's potentially interesting for um, a social situation or if you're trying to like track down a killer, right? But you can't have that kind of poison easily available in your setting or your world because then every player who's not an idiot will immediately get all of those and just start scratching all their enemies in combat. Right. And watch them die immediately. Yep. Now, limiting the number of uses can mitigate this. Sure, you can have a poison that kills somebody in, in one round. Maybe you get five doses and that's all that exists in the entire world. And now you need to be very careful about when you use them.
0: Yeah. And, and then you've got to like keep in mind the source of the poison, right? So a rare poison is going to be more expensive or more difficult to acquire. It might require black market contacts. It might require, you know, high level government contacts. It it might require the single person capable of refining it and weaponizing it, you know? Um, but Then, if you can acquire it, right, like it should be more potent as the reward of going through that activity.
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, just in five E, this is a a situation you get into where even like relatively higher level poisons will be very difficult to acquire or very expensive, but then they're just not all that great, right? Um, So they really just don't become worth it. So you you need to sort of like test your party's um ability and interest in getting their hands on these things uh with their efficacy
0: you also you can run into this situation too where like you introduce these exotic poisons that overcome like through you know some means like your normal poison resistance right so it's like oh this is the magical poison that overrides things that are immune to Um, poison right or it's like Mm. the poison that can actually harm undead you know like it has a unique story property that makes it more more effective or unexpectedly effective but then if you aren't using other poisons those things are just not valuable abilities anymore right like if you're the undead character relying on your immunity to poison and that never comes into play um, but you are exposed to the one poison in the world that hurts undead like cool not only was that not a useful ability for me but now i'm being punished for having it like right this sucks <laughs> like i need to have some level of um, like i need to get value out of my ability to resist it before you can hit me with you can't resist this one
1: yeah a lot of this is really party dependent right like you know you don't necessarily want to introduce a poison in your game that overcomes the poison resistance of dwarves if there's a dwarf in the party or there are a bunch of dwarf npcs because then that's that's just you're taking something away from the player of the dwarf and that sucks right but if you do have a poisoner and you know no one in the party is playing an undead and like it's an undead heavy campaign. It might be nice for like there to be a quest where they figure out how to overcome the poison immunity of undead. And then it doesn't throw off the balance. It actually sort of resets the balance to where it normally would be if they were using like fire. Right. So in combat, typically poison is just deals a bunch of extra damage. Um, It can also add debuff effects or you can have it only do debuff and no damage, and that can be a good way of weakening a poison that's going to be much too powerful uh, if it's basically used every round in combat, while still keeping it effective. You know, it doesn't. It means that you can't immediately kill an enemy, but you can make them easier to kill, and it becomes more of a support feature.
0: Yeah, and then keep in mind how that will affect different player characters differently. Um, like the poison condition makes gives you disadvantage on attack uh, on attacks, which kills your rogue like your rogue never sneak attacks now your rogue is useless (laughs) whereas like it matters almost nothing to the wizard
1: right and in like a solo encounter if you can get the poisoned condition on the one solo you have basically like you've cut the damage output of the encounter in half right which is actually why like it is a very good condition if you can get it off yep out of combat though Poison effects become much more of a story point. Jane, you already sort of alluded to this. like, It can kind of be anything, and it can be a lot more powerful because it you don't necessarily have to make it available to player characters outside of this particular scenario. Like, They might be dealing with it more in terms of trying to fix it rather than trying to recreate the poison. Right.
0: It might be destroy this poison and its creator rather than mm-hmm. weaponize this poison. You can also have poisons that uh, create psychological effects. Um, you can model this as debuffs in combat, or bonuses or penalties in um, to skills and social situations. It can also just be like unreliable information from the narrator, from the GM. You know, like you are one hundred percent sure that you see it this way, and when you interact with it, it is something different.
1: Yeah, I like the idea of um, a poison that doesn't necessarily kill you, but it like discombobulates you, and so you might you might get like. Penalties to balance or whatever, but like now you have advantage on uh, saves against fear or whatever, you know, because it's just screwing up your system entirely. Right. And then consider things like intimidation or fear effects, and this isn't even necessarily versus someone who has been poisoned, or though it could be. But um, there's all there is that trope that I actually love, where like someone has just been poisoned, and now you tell them, "I just poisoned you." You will die in an hour. This is my leverage over you. Hey, here's the antidote right here. What will you do to get this back?
0: Yeah, like you're working for me because you need the antidote every three days. If you don't get it, you'll die. Right. Right. So for two days, you get to work on trying to kill me. And for that one day, you better do what I tell you because you need that right. dose.
1: <laughs> and you know what? After three doses of this antidote, you'll be fine. You'll be cured. You got. You just got to do three jobs for yeah, me. Exactly. No big deal. <laughs> Uh, the the other thing is even like in the moment, um, even if you're not telling somebody that you have poisoned them, if they are poisoned, they're now they're feeling these effects, but they don't necessarily know what's going on, right? Like their heart is racing, they're they're sweating, they're like they're feeling really bad as the poison is taking effect, but. They don't know that they've been poisoned. They don't know if it's some sort of, you know, spell or disease or something. And even if they do know it's poison, they may not necessarily know what kind it is or how to fix it. And that makes them extremely susceptible to manipulation. Yeah. Uh, also, keep
0: in mind that poisons are usually administered by venomous creatures. So you've got your ambush predators or it could be a defense mechanism for prey. Um, either way, you want to make sure that if these are you know exotic critters that are running around in a new location, that you somehow tip off what the cure might be,
1: yeah. Or if you discover the creature first, then it might become apparent very obviously, like what the cure might be. It's the anti venom from this creature. But hey, I've never seen this kind of like lizard before. It's apparently extremely venomous. Let's be on the lookout. Actually, we don't know what the effects of this venom might be, right? Because we've never seen anybody injected with it. Right.
0: That's uh. That's like the first rule of. Like getting bit by something is figure out what bit you, <laughs> you know. Right, like,
1: <laughs> you cannot let that creature escape. <laughs> <laughs> and like we said, poison can also be due to envi- environmental exposure. So you can have an entire area that's just poisoned, right? Like Chernobyl, and you know, uh, thirty thousand years in the future, someone lands on planet Earth and goes to you know that area, and they start feeling sick after a while, and they're not really sure why. Yeah. Um but you can also have like a single item, right? Like mercury poisoning is a thing. People would carry around vials of mercury to you know a- as like a tool essentially and didn't know that exposure to it, especially long term, was extremely hazardous to your health. Yep. Um a cube of lead is is very useful, right? It's easily malleable. Um it's dense, uh but you, you probably shouldn't be like using um working it with your bare hands and then eating. But who knows?
0: Yeah, this is like uh, you know radium poisoning. Right, it w- mm-hmm. used to be used to make glow in the dark uh, watches. <laughs> like, oh, turns out everybody who was painting radium on their watch hands uh, in the factories ended up getting cancer.
1: Mm-hmm. So in this case, the effects probably don't show up for a long time, um, and then it might be a lot stronger than it would have been with just a minor bit of initial exposure. So again, it's more of a story point.
0: And then consider there might be a biological or chemical source for the poison. Um, You know, could inform different ways of treating or preventing proactively. You might be able to like denature a venom by heating it up, but you probably can't do that to radiation or botulism.
1: Though I think you can heat up botulism. (laughs) No, no, you can't. It's heat resistant. Boiling it doesn't do anything. It's it's, uh, it's just. If you kill the bacteria before they create. The byproduct, then you're fine. But if the bacteria grows, their byproduct is heat resistant.
0: Oh, got it. Okay, the poison itself in botulism, but right. not the bacteria
1: is right. Here. Exactly. You, yeah, you can kill the, the botulinin, I believe, uh, but once it's already done its damage, that that stuff is poisoned. Mm, sweet. <laughs> All right, let's talk about curing poisons. First thing you're gonna new, gonna need to do is diagnose it. Even that. Uh, someone has actually been poisoned, right? It can also present as lots of other things, which is nice because it gives you an actual use for the medicine skill. Because I think I've seen medicine used, I don't know, twice in like in like the last six years. Uh, you mean you're not using medicine checks to stabilize <laughs> dying people <laughs> instead of just like casting uh, healing Any word spell? or cure wounds? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: or using like for the same action, using the spell that just stabilizes them. Yeah, no. <laughs> Um, you also have like the poisoners kit or, you know, you might have proficiency in a poison skill or you might be like a poisoner class. Obviously, they're probably going to be the best at this diagnosis.
1: Yeah, it's a nice way. Like, I, I like that the poisoner probably needs to be a good uh, doctor in general, right? Because you understand the biology and the physiology. You probably need a general understanding as well. So I, I like that that sort of pushes against the trope a bit.
0: Yeah, and then you can get into that situation where, like, working together, right, like, you might be able to ballpark things from, a like, a class of poison uh, as a poisoner or a, a set of um, physiological responses and, and things from a medical perspective or maybe you need, like, a nature perspective to understand what what natural creature or an arcane perspective to understand what magical poison might be at play.
1: Yeah, I, I think this is, like, a really nice setup for... Um, uh like an investigation session where you know you basically have several characters working together um and like putting the pieces together of like where was this person um what kind of exposure was possible and then you're sort of ruling out different poisons that the poisoner knows about because you're like well there was no situation where they like ate or drank a thing, so it can't be one of these ingested poisons could it possibly be inhaled i'm not sure let's check their clothes for residue etc etc yep now, even when someone is poisoned and there isn't a cure available, you often have the situation where maybe like a single saving throw or a single check can fix it or or heal them or cure them. And that's probably fine in general as just like a, a speed bump, right? Like not every single poison has to derail an entire session or like be life-threatening. Fourth edition had this this uh thing with diseases where there was a disease track where, you know, there was initial saving throw and then if you failed it you had the disease and then you know every set amount of time depending on the disease uh, you would make an additional saving throw and then if you uh, succeeded you move one step up the track until you're cured you know one step at a time and if you failed you move one step down the track um i i always like this you know you're only moving one step per check so you can sort of see where you're headed right like you're getting a lot worse or you know that it's gonna take still at least three days to get better because i've gotten progressively worse over the last three days right
0: this is an opportunity to let others use their medicine or healing skill uh in place of the character's own um this this lets you you know oh i i will spend my time tending to this character and and pull myself into the healing process when normally it would just sort of be an internalized thing
1: yeah, um, I've seen some systems where, you know, the tending physician basically just makes the checks instead, right? Like, I, you know, spend a use of doctor and then you don't need to worry about it as, as the victim I have you covered. Or it'll be like, I spend a use of doctor and then you have whatever advantage or, you know, you get a bonus to, um, you know, uh, recovering.
0: Yeah, and like in a game, um, like in a gumshoe game, something like that, you might just spend from your pool in order to like move in one direction or the other right like instead of rolling for it you might just let your knowledge take over in that case and that would just benefit the uh the character who's poisoned
1: yeah you can do it either way right it could be like i am very tough and so i spend from that pool and like i recover one step or i'm an excellent doctor i spend from that pool you recover one step right Remember that a lot of poisons are going to be so fast acting that the antidote basically kind of needs to be on hand in order for it to be effective before the character is like incapacitated or just dead. And, you know, normally this is going to be a problem because you can't prep for it. But if you telegraph it, you know, let people know that they're dealing with poison, maybe they are up against a poisoner and so they, they, you know know that they need to prepare they can plan appropriately and, and this can actually be a little bit of fun where you have the party start becoming a little paranoid about like what they're eating or like what equipment what protective equipment they have or you know who they're coming into contact with or like how many stores of anti-venom they're carrying around with them
0: right how many times can we afford to get bit right so something that you're often going to be tempted to do is to limit the benefits of magical healing So at like mid to high levels, a lot of times those antidotes are very easy to come by. You can conjure them. You can buy them. You have the contacts necessary. um, You have magical solutions or technological solutions that just invalidate them.
1: A couple ways you can go about this. You could just be fine with it, right? Like let them spend the minor resource in order to not be poisoned anymore um, that just means that like if they're using lesser lesser restoration to get rid of a poison, they're not casting invisibility or they're not casting a whole person. Honestly, I'd much rather have them spend lesser uh, restoration. And one thing to remember here is that poison, unlike disease, at least for the most part, like once you've recovered from a disease, you often will have antibodies and then you won't get it again. But a poison, you can develop antibodies to a poison, but it's it's much less likely Um, and I think it takes a a lot more exposure and it's got to be done over a long period of time.
0: Yeah. Like Mithridatism is a thing, but typically not (laughs) on an RPG scale.
1: Right. (laughs) You can, uh, be immune to Iocane powder if you really want, but you're going to need to carry around a lot of Iocane powder and you better have told me about that in your backstory.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you probably need the proper permits.
1: Right. (laughs) So it means that sure, they spend that resource to not be poisoned. That doesn't mean they can't get poisoned again.
0: Right. Then the other trope that fits here is that there is a specific cure, right? Um, A lot of times this is for magical poisons or, like, also, like, thematic, almost, like, story-driven poisons. You know, like, mm. if you're poisoned by a fae, it's probably about like comeuppance or a lesson learned and and it's magical in nature not necessarily just the physiological nature right it's like you need nightshade in order to counteract this poison because like you're dead on the inside right
1: right (laughs) nightshade is also a poison that's why i thought it was funny right (laughs) (laughs) so in this instance you probably need some sort of like magical or rare ingredient or or it even could be a common ingredient but you've got to figure out what that common ingredient is right like You just need you need to chug half a gallon of milk to counteract the poison in your system, but you need to know that that's what you need to do. Uh, It could also just be a quest right this is probably best if it's an NPC who's been poisoned and they've got some time and they're lingering. And then it could just require certain kinds of magic, right? Like only a high level druid has even heard of the creature that this poison is derived from. And if you're going to want to find one, you've got to track down that druid. you got to do a favor for them. Then you got to go find the creature and then you got to milk it and make sure it doesn't die because the druid will be pissed if you kill it.
0: Yeah, or, or you know, it might be a wizard who made it in a lab and there's only, you know, only the arch magister of the arcane college could possibly diagnose it now. You need to somehow gain access to that person who is otherwise not making a habit of taking consultations
1: right (laughs) it turns out the cure is the mending spell i (laughs) thought it was funny (laughs) Uh, you can also have a situation where you know you start off with a debuff um, and it's kind of annoying but then that progresses to an injury and then you can't cure the poison but you can cure you can cure the effect you can cure the injury right so sure i i don't recover from this poison on my own i end up taking like a bunch of hp damage okay a a cure wounds can can fix that and now you know i'm cured of the poison it took its effect and that's fine or like i my limb doesn't work because it has been incapacitated by the venom that was injected into my foot all right well there's a spell that can actually heal my foot even though it does it's not taking care of the poison
0: right Yeah. I I like this in combination with like the idea that the dose makes the poison. Like if you just stop your exposure to the poison, then the effects go away. Um, if you have a reason that like you must be exposed, right. Either because of the environment you're going into, uh, necessitates it, or it's like a preventative measure, you know, it's like a, an ounce of prevention versus a pound of cure situation. Um, or you might be, Voluntarily taking a lesser poison in order to kind of have pre-built immunity to a greater poison. Um, But either way, like I like the idea, especially of effects that will cost you resources over time, but not inhibit your play over time. You know, like you'll have to spend extra resources to heal each day because of this poison. You can do that in the long term. You know, like, that doesn't become an urgent pressing concern. It becomes uh, a hindrance, but not restricting your ability to enjoy the game. Whereas, like, a long-term infliction of the poisoned condition and always having disadvantage on attacks, like, just makes the game less fun. You just get to mm. do less. Like, you, you succeed less often, which is, like, the worst outcome.
1: Right, but, you know, if, it, if it's modeled like, um, you know, Gauntlet, where you're losing HP over a set amount of time, you can at least prepare for that. You know that's coming. You can extrapolate like where you're going to be eight hours from now um, in terms of your situation and you can um, do things to mitigate that even if you can't necessarily cure the effect. And you know, that might be a situation where you've been poisoned. It could also be like, we have to go into the miasmic swamp and we know that that is an environmental effect. We're dealing with like right. constant exposure to poison. Right. And then of course the best way to deal with poison is to prevent it entirely. Yeah, so don't get hit by the poisonous creature. <laughs> yeah, dodge. Don't, don't get stabbed by the assassin's blade.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Good armor really is the best defense against poison. <laughs> um if it's inhaled or environmental, you might uh get into a situation where you need some sort of breathing filter. Um you know, in a sci-fi game certainly, those are usually available um uh, you know, a spacesuit. <laughs> yeah, like uh, your
0: mop suit, <laughs> you know, your your chemical warfare equipment.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, gas mask, anything like that. Yep. Uh, and then detection uh, can tell you where it's going to be so that you can just completely avoid it, right? Obviously, there are things like detect poison and disease. Um, you're, you can often rig together some sort of like mechanical contraption that can, you know, tell you, hey, like this Geiger counter is going off. We probably shouldn't stay here that long.
0: Yeah, you can rig together a mechanical contraption like a peasant whose job it is to taste your food before you eat it.
1: (laughs) You know what? I prefer to get peasant dwarves uh, because they last longer, right? They're resistant to the poison, but they still... Uh, they still can tell they've been poisoned, right? <laughs> My problem is I keep getting like you know undead tasters, and like they don't show any effects. and Then I assume everything's fine. And, you know, ugh, it's a big mess. Yeah,
0: I know. Warforged are they? They look like they'd be cheaper in the long run, but in reality, they just don't get it done for you.
1: Mm. Mm. Mm.
0: All right. Uh, let's talk about acquiring poison because I think if any PC wants to use it, they're gonna need to fill up their supply.
1: Yeah. So the first thing you can do is craft it. Uh, most game systems, I think, have a pretty bad mm-hmm. system to, oh, you <laughs> to can craft you, you can
0: use what is almost certainly the bolted-on worst part of your system.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, let your GM know if you're interested in this kind of thing. And, and GM's like, yeah, you, play around with it. Um, maybe you're going to make a... a this is probably a situation where the player is making a specific type of poison that already exists in the game world. It's probably like in the book. Um, it might require a formula. You need you need to like go find another poisoner or, you know, experiment with uh, the poison of a particular animal to figure out how to like make it effective outside the body. Maybe requires different special ingredients. Um, and those will often be like the glands from a poisonous, from a ven- venomous creature. So you need to like go get that creature and harvest it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think you run into things where, you know, if you're playing D&D, it's like, oh, I want to find a carrion crawler uh, to, like, collect its brain and, like, uh, make a poison out of it. But you don't necessarily have to go get those creatures. You can also be like, hey, there are poisonous spiders, sorry, Shane, venomous spiders everywhere, right, all over the place. Um, Is it possible that I could collect enough of them, analyze them, I don't know, milk them somehow and like refine it down to a poison that I could use? Is there a way I could copy the effect without necessarily like being restricted to like these 11 poisons that are listed in the game that are probably overpriced and impossible to come by?
0: Yeah, it also makes a lot of sense to learn how to create antidotes first. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You're, you know, obviously at pretty good risk of poisoning yourself if you're working with poisons in a lab all day. Uh, So when you're crafting them, like, make sure that you've figured out a way to prevent yourself from getting dosed incidentally. And then I think the important advice here is to talk to your GM about this, that this is a direction you want to go with your character. Like, as a GM, like, let let your GM sort of make a plan around how to handle those resources. Don't try to use poison as like the gotcha exploit of the system. That's just going to make you adversarial. Uh, and likewise with the GM, right? Like make this a way to give something special to the character, right? Like this is, this is like could take the place of like the magic item track for a character who's really invested in poison.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is the same kind of thing where like, if you're playing a ranger, go talk to your GM and find out what your favorite enemy should or should not be or like what terrain right like everyone is just sort of keeping everyone else informed so that the game is better in general like if i'm a bard i want to make sure that like this isn't all combat and we are going to have some like interesting social interaction in this game yep uh, and then you know maybe you're just going to make an entirely new poison often for a very specific purpose in the game like the party is concocting a plan and And you're the poisoner and you're like, hey, maybe I can just make something uh, that will be very useful for us. I can put together a truth serum or I can, you know, find something that will uh, put the nobles to sleep uh, while we like change the instructions from the generals. Mm hmm. So this could be a, you know, it could be a side quest for the Poisoner character, but it it's probably more fun if it's uh, tied into the main quest for the entire party so that everybody has something to do. And the Poisoner's job is to, like, make the poison, but everyone else needs to, like, get inside, um, you know, get past the guards, uh, you know, make sure that there's no trace of themselves left behind, etc.
0: Yeah, this feels like uh, an early step in, like, a Blades in the Dark job, you know? <laughs> like... Like we did our investigation, we know what this poison is look like. Now we just got to go get it, and then keep in mind, creating a new poison will likely require some type of special ingredient, uh, not necessarily from an animal source. You know, it could be just uh, any number of ordinarily toxic substances, fungi, plants, metals, industrial chemicals, waste products, etc.
1: Yeah, I like the idea of like a, a shadow run game where you just go to the power plant and like gather some runoff, and that's what you're making your poison out of. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then you know, as a poisoner, you might have like a signature concoction or like a favorite application method. You, um, you know, specialize in inhaled poisons, right? And you know, that's probably <laughs> a good one where you want to try to become immune to it yourself, or, mm-hmm. or you know, dose, dose yourself. Well, you know, the ragman. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, that works as contact too, right? <laughs> <laughs> And then of course you can just buy them. It's this is the easiest way to get poison. It's also probably the most expensive and maybe the most boring. Yeah. Um, although it doesn't have to be, right?
0: Yeah, I mean again, you've you've got to get your access to this type of thing. Like poisons are typically gonna be illegal, right? Especially refined and, and higher quality ones. So you're gonna need to find people you that will trust you enough to sell them to you. Um, you're going to need to avoid detection on, on the purchase. You're going to need the money to do it. You might need to do favors or jobs in exchange for it. It might just not be for sale at a normal cost.
1: Yeah, I love the idea that like the poisoner in the party is tracking down another poisoner, like an NPC poisoner, because you are the one who like knows how this person thinks. Uh, and like, sure, you have this contact, and like they made a mistake. They sold a poison to this guy assuming it was just going to be a regular job and hey I don't really ask questions but it turns out he wanted to poison the whole town and like guess what my family lives in town
0: uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I think what you want to be careful here is that this is not the this is not a penalty or a burden to the character who wants to explore this right if, if you're bought into the idea of having a poisoner as a PC like this needs to be one of the avenues in which they invest their cash that tracks along with the other avenues that the other characters are investing their cash and they need to stay roughly equivalent on their benefit.
1: Yeah. Like you said, if this is going to replace magic items, then these poisons should be like very good um, and reliable. Um, if it, if it's just in addition, then, you know, maybe this is something that they're using on as opposed to like stronghold stuff or a warhorse or whatever, right. but keep, keep it on par.
0: All right. Do you hear that? Ishan?
1: No, it's a very silent and quick acting. But you'll feel the effects soon.
0: Well, then it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge and figure out who we rolled up that's immune to this problem. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane
1: at Mundangerous. That's N-U-N dangerous. And you can tweet at Evil at Carne, That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill
0: at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com.
1: We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. So, this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Dart Frog. Ishin? What is the Dart Frog? Uh, poisonous and stabby. Okay. <laughs> I mean, is it a grung? It's totally a grung. Okay. It's absolutely a grung. <laughs> <yes>. Okay, good. <laughs> so, what's the build? It is arcane archer fighter 16 assassin rogue 3 nature cleric 1. A lot of this build is based around or is a response to the uh racial features of the grung, which are uh small like poisonous uh frog-like humanoids. Yeah, they're which, they're
0: like your, you know, Amazonian tree frog folk. Right.
1: So they get plus two to dex and plus one to con. They're small and have a 25-foot movement. Um, They're amphibious, so they can breathe water, but they're also water-dependent. So for an hour a day, they need to immerse themselves in water or they take a level of exhaustion, which sucks.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean somebody's (laughs) carrying around a barrel of water.
1: (laughs) So they also get standing leap, which is really cool. Um, They can jump up to 25 feet without a running start. Just all the time. Sweet. So they're extraordinarily mobile. (laughs) They're also totally immune to poison. Right.
0: Which is helpful because they have poisonous skin.
1: Yeah. uh, So if they get uh, grapple, if anyone comes into contact with them, they've got to make a save or become poisoned. And and anytime you attack with a piercing weapon, the target has to make a DC 12 constitution saving throw or take uh, additional poison damage. And then they also get the perception skill. Okay. So they add a poison to every attack with a piercing weapon so the whole point is to get a bunch of attacks with a piercing weapon so we start with fighter two and then eventually three attacks per round archery fighting style and second wind and we are going to be using a hand crossbow
0: okay uh you'll get action surge to let you take a second uh action in your turn as well as indomitable to reroll saves
1: You'll, uh, from Arcane Archer you'll get the Arcana skill and digitation, which is nice if you want to clean poison off of something because not everybody is immune. And then you'll get Arcane Shot. You can use this two times per encounter. Uh, you start with two options and select more as you go. The important one here is Piercing Arrow which means that instead of making an attack roll you fire an arrow and then it passes in a straight line through objects and hits all creatures in a line which means that every single one of those is being attacked with a weapon that does piercing damage, and they will all need to make a constitution saving throw versus your poison. Uh, The other good ones are probably Seeking, uh, which seeks out a creature, which will be very good if you are hunting down poisonous creatures to harvest their poison. Uh, Shadow, which blinds a creature, and then Bursting, which uh, explodes in a bunch of force.
0: You will also end up with magic arrows. Uh, you will be able to use your bonus action to reroll a missed attack on your turn.
1: And then eventually you'll regain one use of arcane shot at the beginning of each encounter if you don't have any left.
0: So with three levels of assassin rogue, you'll have a 2d6 sneak attack. You'll get cunning action as a bonus action to let you hide and get advantage on your attacks. You'll have two expertises, which we will take nature and survival
1: That will let us use the uh, Poisoner's Kit to best effect uh, and then also track down those creatures if we want to harvest their poison.
0: You will also get the Disguise Kit and Poisoner's Kit proficiency, of course. Handy to disguise yourself as a less poisonous grung.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe a halfling. I'm a gnome. Do you even know what gnomes look like? (laughs) And then you get the Assassinate ability Um, advantage uh, in the first round of combat. And if someone is surprised, it's an automatic crit. Now, from your single level of Cleric, the reason we have this is, well, there are multiple reasons. The first off is the Guidance Cantrip, which will give you an additional D4 to all of those poison checks, which will make it much more likely that you're going to be able to uh, harvest poisons effectively. You also get two first-level spells per day. Absorb Elements is a good one to prepare, because it's never a bad thing to like have the damage from a fireball. But the ones that you want to make sure that you have are Bane which lets you pick three creatures. And if they fail the charisma saving throw, which is probably likely, then they'll take a minus D4 to their saves, including against all your poison. And create or destroy water, which is going to make 10 gallons of water for you. If you use both your slots, that's 20 gallons. And that should be enough uh, to bathe in if you have no other source of water so that you don't get exhaustion because you're amphibious.
0: Uh, You will also get the druid cantrip shape water to um, help distribute that water over your amphibious body.
1: Right. I think, you know, you could probably get by with very little water, but if all of it is just encasing you sort of like a suit. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. For feats, we're going to want Crossbow Master, which removes the loading property from the crossbows, lets us shoot uh, straight up in melee combat, and more importantly, lets us make a bonus action attack with a hand crossbow. So every round, we're going to be doing two, eventually three shots with a hand crossbow, and then another bonus action, and then if we want two to three more with Action Surge, we can.
0: Uh, You'll also want to take the Sharpshooter uh, feat, which will give you extra damage in exchange for reducing your accuracy.
1: Yeah, just so every single one of those things hits a lot. But you should be very accurate because uh, you've got cunning actions. So if you need to, you can hide uh, pretty much every round at the expense of uh, one of your attacks. Or you can just leap away. So the point here is you track creatures down, you harvest the poison, and there's no chance of poisoning yourself because you are, of course, immune. So what do we have
0: uh, in terms of leveling order?
1: I think we're going to start Rogue One because, of course... Uh, then I like Cleric 1, uh, especially if you're worried about not having access to enough water. Um, and then I would go Fighter 5, finish out your Rogue, finish out your Fighter.
0: All right, before we wrap up, let's take a moment
1: and thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash TotalPartyThrill. So what do we have planned
0: for next week's episode?
1: We'll be talking about seafaring adventures. And in the character creation forge. Anime is back. And we're building, appropriately, Sailor Neptune. Well, that's it for
0: episode 248 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane.
1: And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill
0: is brought to you this week by Cobalt Press.
1: The Cobalt Press Store offers the full line of 5th edition titles from Tome of Beasts to Guide to Game Design plus hundreds of adventures, map packs, and more. Settings like Midgard and Southlands and all those cool things. Yep,
0: all of their 5e titles are available in both print and PDF or in money-saving bundles.
1: Virtual tabletop versions are available from Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds and order ship within 24 hours uh, while supplies last, right? So maybe get them right now. Yeah, go
0: now. (laughs) Go
1: now to CobaltPress.com and pick them up and tell them DSPN sent you.